Justin Bright and Justin Slavin are known as Bright and Slavo, and they make up the pop duo Fly By Midnight. The pair first met at a songwriting session in New York and instantly connected with each other. After a few sessions working together, they decided to join forces. They built a fan base by covering popular songs on a YouTube channel and generated over a quarter million subscribers doing just that. The duo then rolled out some original music and found a niche putting on energetic and engaging live shows for their fan base. They've built a worldwide audience for their music, which is all the more impressive seeing as they don't have a record label to back them. That means the pair is mixing music, business, and creativity every day and doing it pretty well. Bright and Slavo join us this week to talk about being independent artists and the business of Fly By Midnight on this episode of The Big Break. You guys tell me your names just so we can uh so we can organize that sure way. so uh yeah by, by the way obviously it's two of us so at any point i guess we don't need to keep saying this is slavo or justin but but this is uh justin speaking and then i'm okay. slavo justin is the okay. one that sounds like he has a cold because i because i have a cold <laughs> <laughs> sounds good all right well let's just get started and uh, uh justin if you want to just like talk about like where you come from um how you got interested in music and uh you know where this all began really sure what I always like about telling our origin story is uh, Salevo and I both grew up on other sides of the country, and but we have very similar yet different backgrounds when it comes to music. My background started probably in middle school. I was in chorus, uh, high school plays, a lot of more like theatrical stuff. And then when I got into high school, I decided to play football because that was what all my friends were doing. And I very quickly uh, figured out that football was not what I was meant to be doing. And uh, yeah, from there, I fell in love with songwriting, and that kind of led me down this road of just wanting to release original music. And I guess that was that was the quickest version of that story I've ever told. Uh, and then, yeah, it, oh, bravo, yeah, right, that was pretty good. Uh, <laughs> and then it led me to uh, a studio in Staten Island, where I linked up with Slavo, and then we became Fly by Midnight. That's my side of the story. Yeah, Slavo, what about you? Like Justin was saying, we grew up in different parts of the country. So I'm from Florida originally. And he's um, from New York. When I started off, it was funny. I like to tell the story of like a, a jealous brother because my brother had a drum set a year before I got a guitar and I used it as like leverage to get a guitar. And so once I got a guitar, then it was like this thing where we both used to just kind of like jam out. And then he started the band being like three years older than me. It was like not cool to have your little brother in the band. So I used to beg him to be a part of this like little like punk scene that he was uh, a part of. And uh, I finally got in and we used to do like bar gigs and stuff like that. So that's kind of how I got started. It's funny because I transitioned transitioned from like doing this screamo emo music to pop stuff pretty quick when I moved to New York. It was kind of a, an easy transition, surprisingly. You know what I mean? I feel like it would have been like a weird thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. I met Justin at the studio, like you said. Yeah. The rest is kind of history from there. It's pretty funny how we both kind of like Slavo with screamo music and me kind of more like theater both kind of fell in love with music on different spectrums and different genres and 
we kind of, I, I don't think there's much screamo or theater in our music anymore. No, not really. <laughs> but, uh, but, but there's definitely influences of other music that we kind of grew up listening to. Yeah. I was going to add too, ironically, I was heavily into football and I started like high school football for three years and I did a year of college. So I was on the other spectrum with Justin with that too. So we're, we're very similar in a lot of ways, but it's funny how our stories are kind of different yeah, as he, far as music goes. He was, he was good at football and I was, I was good <laughs> at sitting on the bench. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't take long to figure out that you're maybe football is not your sport. Probably a couple practices <laughs> in and you're and you're there. Cool. So like you guys, um, Justin, obviously you kind of had this this idea of of music and you were playing bar gigs. But did you two think uh, as music of like a, as like a career when you're growing up? Like you were teens uh, in your teens or you know in college or if you went to school. Like, did you think like oh this is going to be you know how I make a living or is it more of a hobby that uh, you know kind of went from there? Yeah, when when did you figure it out? Yeah. For me, it's funny because I got into doing the engineering side of things when we had a band and like we just used to do a lot of self-recording stuff. So for me, like I started getting serious about that. I was like, all right, so maybe my future is going to be like doing the whole like recording side of things and working in studios, which I kind of, I guess still is how it is, you know, mm-hmm. being that uh, I produce on the project and stuff. But yeah, I guess that's kind of where it started. I got really heavily into that and then it just kind of became a passion. So, And I remember... Uh, when I was in high school, I think it was junior year, I uploaded my first video on YouTube. And at the time I was working part-time as a pool boy at like a local pool store. And I remember receiving money from YouTube and thinking like, wow, this is more money than I'm making at my part-time job. And it was kind of like that moment for me where I was like, I I could totally just like press the gas on this and and do this full-time. And it was something that I think I think it took my family a little bit to to wrap their head around. I don't know about your family, but I, we're very lucky that we have very supportive parents and family. But I think the idea of pursuing this kind of unorthodox path is something that people not frown upon, but but people uh, don't fully understand. And and I think that was kind of my moment where where I understood that I could I could do this for the rest of my life. Yeah. Hmm. What did you upload to YouTube? Um. So yeah, my video fr- of him twerking. <laughs> That went viral. That was it. (laughs) Yeah, it was. uh, Actually, for about a year and a half to two years, I kind of built this organic fan base just doing cover videos. Um, So I worked with a studio out here in New York, and my best friend Matt uh, filmed all of our videos. Which, full circle, what's really cool is Matt is still the guy filming all the Fly by Midnight videos. And (laughs) he actually started a company recently, too, called Knox Media that's uh, killing it. And they work with artists like Black Coffee, yeah, Chelsea Cutler, stuff like that. So really cool. Yeah, it's really, so we've kind of like built um, this kind of a, a veer off that question, but we've kind of built this creative family around us that have been f- like with me from the beginning, but also now with Fly by Midnight from the beginning. I uh, started the fan base doing cover videos and and was starting to make pretty good money off of that. Yeah. Interesting. That must have been pretty validating to to kind of a see like the AdSense checks come in, but also have that fan base kind of grow, right? Yeah, and it was you know a story slave one I like telling too is when uh, slave one I decided to start Fly by Midnight. I was like, hey, I have this fan base that has gotten used to me singing other people's songs, and I'm confident if I put out an original of my own, it's just not going to land the way I want it to because people hmm. see me in a certain light. So half of the the struggle of starting fly by midnight was will people even care if i'm 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 per- personally doing an original song from there we figured out that that new fans came on board and old fans of my project left and some stuck around and and we we really created something from the beginning that was just completely different than what i had done before which was really cool yeah it is cool 
So when you guys met Slavo, were you still in Florida or did you had moved to New York at that point? I actually moved to New York, I think maybe like a year or two before I met you. Cause I did this internship apprenticeship thing that was in the city for like two years. So I guess it must've been two years. And then I was living on Staten Island. So I was close by, but uh, yeah, we didn't, we didn't meet until probably two years in. Yeah. Okay. So, so take me from there when you guys met. Was it like you guys clicked from the beginning and you knew that you, you both kind of would work well together or, or how'd that relationship evolve? Brothers at first sight. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I, when was the first time I met? Was that a show? So he actually, it's funny because the, the studio that we work at is called ET Studio Productions. I reached out to them because a mutual friend kind of thing and they were the ones working with Justin. And so as a producer, I came on board. They were like, we have this artist, Justin Bright, he's starting to do original music. Would you be interested in working with him? I was like, yeah, of course. I mean, at this point, I obviously wouldn't say no to anyone. I'm just mm-hmm. kind of starting up and um he had a show they called what is it back to the beach or something like that on Staten yeah, Island? it was like some outside staten island performance quite quite cringeworthy and yeah. so the first time <laughs> i met him he was wearing like a, a tank top he had like your typical like ray-ban wafer sunglasses on <laughs> and i was like oh my gosh who is this kid? and uh no he was really genuine dude um very passionate, you could tell from the start, you know. And uh, we we got in the studio uh, probably like what, like a week or two later. Yeah, I was I was super excited to work with Slavo too. You know, just a new creative person, especially being in Staten Island. There's not a lot of people really taking music seriously. Mm-hmm. And um, when we were introduced to each other, it was like, hey, you two, you don't really know each other. Get in the room and make some music. And we we kind of went in writing a song with no no expectations no guidance no, no uh, idea what we wanted it to sound like we just wrote and we kind of left that session w- with the first fly by midnight song yeah hmm. i feel like that's the story behind a lot of stuff where it's like you know we're just going to go in and see what happens and and maybe magic happens and uh for sure and the one thing that we like to um add to that story i feel bad that we're talking so much <laughs> yeah. oh, no you're good but, uh, <laughs> when we uh wrote that song we actually weren't even a duo at the time so it was like one of those things that that, that song kind of created flap a minute you know it was very inspiring and justin at the time i remember was looking for some kind of change in his artist project i think he was looking for even like a female artist to, to join as a duo yeah whenever we wrote that song and and you know it just clicked we just kind of i guess both had the epiphany or you had the epiphany and brought it to me i was like yeah Yo, you want to do this as like a duo and i was like yeah it sounds pretty cool yeah something about us our personalities is i'm definitely a bit more eccentric and and slave was more kind of chill go with the flow and when i brought the idea to him it was like uh it, it was like the most epic thing in the world that popped into my mind. And I was like, hey, man, we're going to do it. We're going to take over the world. It's going to be crazy. The theater side, for sure. Exactly. My theater <laughs> side was bleeding through. And Slavo like, shrugged his shoulders and he was like, all right, cool. <laughs> you said something a little bit ago where you just like you were in the mode of you're new in the, the industry a little bit and you're kind of like, don't say no to anyone. So is that something that you still kind of think of, of, of like a, a mantra um, or something that's useful to you? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I don't think we're at a point right now either you know to where we need to turn stuff away but there's there's sometimes when the schedule gets a little crazy that you know we'll pick and choose but i don't think we'll ever have an ego to where you know there's someone we won't work with because you know they're below us you know what i mean i don't think it's ever that it's more of a at this point in our life just organizing things and staying on top of what you know our priorities are so yeah and just to add to that this past year, we've been lucky enough, obviously, continuing to release Fly By Midnight music, but we've been lucky enough to write and produce for other artists as well. And some of the artists we've worked with that have had the most successful singles this year are not artists with the, like, the biggest fan base. You really don't know anymore. And we pretty much work with people that we believe in from the business side to the creative side. If we 
share the same values with them and we think they're amazing, we want to work with them. So, and you know that pretty quick too, working with people, you know, you get in a room and either you gel or you don't. So yeah. Yeah, and that can be a pretty good springboard, it seems like, you know, working with someone and um, creating that network. And when one person pops off, it brings, lifts everyone up. That's the uh, the rising tide that lifts all ships, I guess, is the uh, the idiom. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Cool, cool. So, I mean, what's it been like for the past couple of years? You guys working together, growing the fan base. I mean, you have 200,000 plus monthly listeners on Spotify, quarter million subscribers on YouTube. So, you know, what's what's gotten you guys there? <laughs> it's it's a combination of a lot of things. I think yeah. we started off Fly by Midnight as a YouTube project. Um, being that, like previously, my fan base had kind of lived on there, we thought that was the best place to start. And then um, very quickly early on, we kind of figured that if we were going to have longevity, we needed to make this first and foremost a live band. It needed to have this live organic presence because uh, we know that sometimes numbers on a page don't necessarily equate to warm bodies in an audience. Mm-hmm. So that was our first and foremost pivot. We were like, all right, we're releasing videos that are doing really well. Let's bring that on the road. So we played New York, we played LA. Uh, we've been lucky enough last year, we, we went on a tour that was it like f- over 50 colleges or? Yeah, it was a lot of schools. A lot of schools. We were on the road for like two, maybe about two months or so. And, and that was the first time Salevo and I like, we're on top of each other 24-7, uh, which <laughs> was cool. We only f- wanted to kill each other twice. Um, <laughs> and uh, and then from there, yeah, w- we then realized that YouTube wasn't the end-all, be-all, and we wanted to move over to Spotify. And it's just kind of been this ride of experimenting and uh, not being afraid to take risks sonically while also creatively and, and, and strategically just doing things that maybe are a little bit left of center. Is there anything you'd add to that? Or? Yeah, I guess I would just say like from the beginning, you know, it's, it's been a journey, that's for sure. But like, there's no playbooks from the start. It's always been like a learn from, you know, our surroundings and, and kind of learn as we go. And um, I think we have a pretty good head on our shoulders at this point, but it's, it's never been like a sure process. You know, it's kind of like tried and true and just see what works for us. And um, I mean, at one point we were full on covers and, and now we're full on original music. You know what I mean? So um, mm-hmm. pretty drastic to to keep our fan base through, you know, a transition like that. We still have a lot to learn. So, yep. Yeah, certainly. It must be fun to grow. And I, I'm really curious about your guys experience kind of with this new music industry, because, I mean, you guys said it started as a YouTube project and that's kind of like the bleeding edge of the music industry. Maybe not YouTube these days, but maybe SoundCloud. Yeah. You know, it depends on what genre, I suppose. But, you know, you're connecting with with individual people that are clicking on your video because they like your music. And you're not 10 years ago when you're trying to to get a record. I mean, not, not a record company, but a uh, a radio station to play your music. So it's like you're you're really on the these like getting the early adopters and building the fan base from there. So um, when you guys are how do you guys approach music? trying to find the single that's that's going to connect with each and every person that's a youtube subscriber that's following you on spotify or whatever like how do you are you looking at uh, trends or is it the same kind of thing of you just go in the studio and see what happens yeah it's interesting obviously for for us fans are like the first and foremost thing why we're doing what we're doing but i think the only time we we don't necessarily think of the fans first is when we're creating music because in my opinion the fans are invested in the kind of music that we want to make if that kind of makes sense mm-hmm. um so when we go into the studio it's never like man will the fans love this it's i think the fans have kind of trusted our instinct and what we're inspired by which constantly changes i mean be- before slave on our artists were fans of music first 
and we're constantly listening to new music, old music, and incorporating all of that. Um, so I, I think I think a majority of of this past year has been going into the studio with other co-writers and and just really experimenting and trying all different stuff, which I, I think you'll see on the next record. It's definitely super eclectic. So, anything to add to that, Slayer? Uh, yeah, I would just say that. You know, you mentioned how to pick a single and stuff like that. It's so funny, the industry we live in these days, everything we pretty much put out as a single, you know, that's how we treat right. it. You know, we have the the goal at the end of each project to, you know, tell a story in a certain way, but put it all together at the end of it. And, you know, the last album we did, we added, I don't even know how many extra songs when we three. released it, maybe three extra songs. Yeah. And we kind of plan on doing something similar here. Yeah, every time just trying to change up the formula. And I think this this album was the trips to LA and really trying to grow as me being a producer and you know, us both as songwriters and working with people that we think understand what we're trying to say. And uh, yeah, I think they, they, the people we worked with brought a, a nice little uh, difference to, you know, what we've been doing in, in a good way, obviously. Yeah. Speaking of your, you're the producer and um, Justin's board, the songwriter, what are your, what are your roles within the duo? Because I know a lot of people are, maybe they collaborate with someone, but they're not always working with someone or they always, you know, have that division of labor. So what's it look like for you guys? It's definitely a, a unique relationship, right? Yeah, I mean, it was obvious from the get-go that um, Justin was very passionate about like the marketing and business side in general when it came to um, just music in general, other than obviously songwriting. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm I'm usually have my face buried in the computer doing some kind of production stuff, and Justin's coming up with some kind of master plan on how to make everything pop off. So that's usually the the dynamic. We're very like hands-on creatively in general, though. I mean, we from the videos to, you know, the album artworks, everything that you see is like 100% with a, a touch of people here and there, but it's usually 100% us. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would just add to that. I would say that, uh, recently I actually, um, I, there's a boy band called Brockhampton that are, they call themselves like a collective just for like full 360 from the visual to the audio. And, and I was kind of, uh, watching an interview of them and I was like, man, we resonate and, and connect with them so much because I feel like fans of our music sometimes because they're just listening on Spotify, they don't even know that we are the director behind every video. Slavo is mm -hmm. editing every video while Slavo is working on the production, um, coming up with this whole business plan of how to release it, you know, and, and mm -hmm. from the creative side, we both write everything together. You know, uh, it's definitely not like one of us is more of a writer than the other one of us may come in with the idea for the day and then uh we we kind of rely on the other one to bring it to life it's definitely uh super organic and just 50 50 across the board yeah that's cool interesting justin you're you're approaching this kind of how a lot of new music people are approaching it as your music's more of a business as opposed to we're just we're just the creatives um we're going to make the music and then someone else is going to make it go what are your business plans you know, as far as getting these things out there, getting people listening to them, getting them into the right hands on playlists, etc. It's interesting because I think Slavo just touched on this before, but we're we're constantly experimenting, and I think we're still doing that. I think we we've been lucky enough the past year to start getting editorial support from Spotify, and <laughs> it's so funny. A lot of people in our circle were like, "How did you get this? How did you get that? And <laughs> how did you get the article on Forbes? How did you do this?" And and truthfully. It is as grassroots and cold as you can imagine. It really, it's been a matter of emailing the CEO of X or running into a person at the bar who has a friend who did that. You know, everything we've been able to accomplish has really been 
just bottom level, which sounds like a really uh, shit business plan, but <laughs> but uh, truthfully, it really for me for every song we release, I have a doc where I I have the top things that I want to achieve that are probably out of our league, and I'm aiming to probably accomplish one of them. Mm-hmm. And I have like 50 other things that I know we're going to be able to accomplish. And then uh, I bullet point how we're going to figure it out. I don't know if that's a little bit of a vague answer. but <laughs> No, definitely not. And it's interesting. I, I'm always curious about it because we had uh, another independent artist on um, a few episodes ago. And he was talking about he had been independent for a few years. And uh, his, his method was to guess the email address of the <laughs> curators on Spotify and Apple Music. And uh, just literally just... Once he found an email address that didn't get immediately sent back as wrong, he would just bombard them with their music and eventually got on a playlist. And that was like, you know, the kind of the rocket fuel that, that set him off. So I'm always curious about how people do it, you know? Um, so it's interesting to hear that you have this list that you're, you got your reach goals and then the achievable stuff that you're working down. So I think cool. the, uh, the timing with music is, is really important too, in general. And then like the yin and yang between the business and the, the creative, because like the perfect example, like I was just thinking about is the old town road deal where like, mm-hmm. I think that song is genuinely a good song. If it wasn't a good song mm-hmm. or at least like quality wise, you know what I mean? Like there's certain things that I feel like people will expect to, to blow up because they had this perfect plan, but the song just isn't right. You know what I mean? And I think that was a, a perfect storm for him. And um, not that we're trying to have a, a viral sensation song like that, which would be nice. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think the the timing and and the the right song, you know, the right time of year, the right plan. I think it's very important. And um, I think we've had songs that have done really well that we've kind of tapped into that, like you know, how close we can get to being a perfect release. But then there's songs where we've learned from, you know what I mean, that yeah. that don't do as well. And we had a point in our career where we were releasing songs and everyone was doing better and better and better. And then we had a song once where it didn't do as well. And it was like kind of a, an eye opener to us to be like, wow, okay, so we can, you know, learn from this and reflect, yeah, reflect and figure out like, you know, what could we do better next time? But it's it's funny because being the creatives and thinking so business minded like that, I think it's stubborn not to do that these days. But it's also, um, and unfortunate necessity i think these days if you're an independent artist yeah i agree with that hmm. yeah that's interesting here what when you guys are talking about this year you're going around co-writing with people collaborating and kind of experimenting um how are you guys getting linked in with these people are they connecting with you are they reaching out are you reaching out like how does that work power of the internet yeah yeah i mean that, that's kind of the exciting thing uh so before we went so we were in la more than we were in new york this year that was like a big step for us too. We were like, all right, well, we made a lot of money on this college tour. Either we're going to live a little bit lavish for a few months or we're going to spend all of it going to LA and, you know, further propelling what we're doing. So we spent all of it. <laughs> so, yeah, right. uh, yeah. So, um, we had our manager reach out to a lot of, um, a lot of other producers and writers and their managers and, truthfully a majority of those emails never culminated to any sessions because when you go manager to manager there's a lot of ego there's a lot of scheduling issues etc so Salevo and i were like okay well let's just start dming every single person we want to work with on instagram yeah. and i think 90 percent of our sessions were literally just messaging people through instagram being like hey we, we love your music and a majority of the time it was like whoa no way we just heard your song too this is crazy what are the odds and uh, actually, not to talk down managers in general, but there were even a couple of situations where 
man- our manager and another manager couldn't come to terms on getting in a writing session. And we were so frustrated that we actually reached out to that same artist and got in a session with them. And, and both of our managers were confused how it even happened. So, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. More often than not, you'll see that artist to artist is the way to go. I mean, it's just yeah. we're, we're the biggest testament of it. So for sure. Hmm. As a growing artist or songwriter, keeping royalties coming in is important for keeping the bills paid. It's also important to keep an eye on those royalty payments. A lot of people we worked with here at Royalty Exchange were having a tough time making sense of the royalties that are getting paid. So we built a free tool called Know Your Worth that automatically analyzes every royalty payment made on your music. It breaks it all down in an easy to understand analysis with some insights that would be impossible to find elsewhere. Plus, it connects you with the thousands of investors on Royalty Exchange and allows them to make you offers on your music. So far, musicians have raised over a million dollars for new projects, new ventures, and a whole lot of other things just through the Know Your Worth app. If you're earning royalties, you should be keeping track of them, and Know Your Worth makes it easy. It only takes about three minutes to connect an account, and the tool will automatically update over time. Just visit worth.royaltyexchange.com or find the link in the show notes to get started. Now, let's get back to the interview. So when you guys got off that tour with the college tour and you had some money in your pockets, like, how did you guys approach the decision of, you know, do we live lavishly? Do we go, you know, get some nice clothes or something? Or do we like reinvest it in this, uh, you know, maybe it's not a business, but it's like our, our, you know, artistry. Like, uh, how did you guys approach making that, that trade off there? Yeah. I mean, it was kind of a no brainer. That's always been our mentality, just kind of reinvesting ourselves and, um, it was nice to see a little money come in. I think it was, if anything, motivating, you know, that we're doing something right. Um, so, yeah, I think it was a pretty easy decision. We don't really have a conversation about it. I think it was just kind of assumed that, you know, we'd be doing something different. And one thing to say, you know, it's funny talking about managers. Um, the one positive thing that I think, not the one positive thing, there's a million positive <laughs> things. I'm wording this terribly, but um, our manager uh, has always pushed us, you know, to to try different things and not be afraid of, you know, spending our money on ourselves and, and reinvesting and blah, blah, blah. And, and, uh, he was the one that really pushed for us to go to LA. And, uh, even when we got back, we spent, what was it? Three months there. Yeah. We, we had such productivity that he's like, you guys realize you have to go back. And we're like, what? Like, we don't, we're like running low on all the fun, the months we, money we just made. We literally had just got back and he was like, wait, do you understand what you guys accomplished this, these three months, you have to go back for like another four months. And we were like, all right. Um, but and, yeah. the best part was even after that trip, he's like, all right, we got to go back again. We're like, all right, relax. We literally have no money. <laughs> You're going to pay for it. Yeah, exactly. And, and uh, talking about managers and, and business too, when uh, our manager will stepped on, the one thing was he saw us operating like a business, obviously a creative business, but he was like, Hey, let's make this a legitimate business. So fly by midnight is an LLC. We treat it with that mentality. And I think that's also kind of what propelled the LA trip to to make a lot of sense for us. Like this is if if you're investing in the product and you want to see the product grow, you have to you have to do it. You know. So like 
it, it's good to have that manager there to to give you that guidance on stuff that maybe you know you wouldn't you wouldn't have thought of like maybe we do, do we really incorporate i know it's not an incorporation but it's good to have them there yeah gotcha. you're speaking about uh, our manager will i'm sorry yeah or just just managers in general like you know how they can really be an asset to you as a as an artist i think they're extremely important i mean uh you know, we, we get so caught up in our own little opinions between the two of us, which is, I mean, then I'll be all, that's for sure. But, um, you know, having that third brain, you know, outside of, you know, the studio every day and um, someone we can rely on, you know, when, when we kind of get in these frustrating moments where we don't know what to do. <laughs> yeah. So it's definitely nice to have a manager for sure. I think we, early on with Fly By Midnight, after our first song, we were grateful enough to be starting to take manager meetings and they were knocking on our door. And a big thing we saw from the get-go was a lot of managers wanted to come in and put their hands on everything and start moving pieces around. And, and with our manager now, and we've been with him probably almost two years now, right? Uh, he came on not as a manager. He came on as a dude who loved what we were doing and he wanted to see how he could add value to it and without changing anything. And and that's kind of why like we we just touched on how maybe his emails to other managers didn't work. So he's he was always and he's always been like, hey, I think you should just message that person or just very very hands off and knowing when to step up if that makes mm. sense. Yeah, he's not going to get offended if you are doing something that might be originally classified as his his role. For sure. No. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, it's interesting to hear about that because um, we don't really hear about the managers too often on the show. But uh, hmm. it's cool to hear about the experience. Cool. So you guys got this um, this album, or uh, yeah, I guess it is an album and a single coming up here soon. So what uh, what's on your your business plan for this, Justin? Yeah. So the single uh, is supposed to come out October twenty third. I guess I don't know. Maybe it'll be out by the time this podcast see, sees the world. But it's it's a song that we've kind of had in our pocket for a while. We wrote it during our, f- our first trip to LA mm-hmm. and um, it's called love me like a friend. And from the get go after writing this, we were like, this has to be one of the focus singles for the album. Mm. It's like Slavo said, every song we release is a single in its own right, because it's by itself, you know, and we treat it, it has its own visual and everything, but we still need to keep that mentality of a song that we really go 110 miles per hour on. And this song definitely feels like it to us. So we, we're experimenting right now with different partners and different people we could bring on that kind of just open up a, a few more doors that we haven't uh, prior. And I think that's all we want to do. With every song we release, we want to just try something, even 10% more, to try to impact. So that's kind of the plan with this single in particular. And then the album, I mean, the album's a whole different monster, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, this the one thing that I think is really cool for this song specifically that's kind of a, a milestone for us is we're actually releasing overseas. Yeah, so we, we just signed a deal with, uh, with a, a mainland China distributor. Uh, distributor. So it's, we, we've kind of always kind of festered a fan base overseas, hmm. but I think this is the first time after looking at analytics that we were like, okay, we have to capitalize on this and not just treat it like it's not happening. So yeah, we recently just signed with a distributor overseas, have a like a, a translated artwork, translated video and everything. Uh, and so that's really exciting. That's definitely one thing. But even on top of that, uh, that kind of inspired us to, to for this release in particular, to reach out to different outlets, not only in the States. So we actually have uh, a Premier Magazine interview going live with the biggest English 
uh, music magazine in Japan. We're also negotiating a big interview with a fashion magazine in the UK as well. So really just trying to make this feel as global, more global than anything we've ever released before. Wow. So, so you guys were looking at analytics of like, you know, where people are listening to you and you saw this, this little fan base in China and you thought, let's go for it. Pretty much. It's been, (laughs) man, we've had a, we had a viral video in China 2014. Yeah, it was uh, actually a YouTube cover that we did. Uh, yeah. We don't talk anymore. It hit like on ours, maybe twelve million. Yeah, but it hit uh, it on was another a, channel too. That it was a reupload. It was like thirty million, and it was all over their news stations. It was so oh crazy. We, since then, we've we've kind of felt that, but more recently than ever, we felt it more on the original side of music. And uh, yeah, yeah. So we we look at the charts, and and that kind of uh, motivated that that whole decision. How how are you guys Mandarin coming along? Uh, we did a, a video once um, uh, for a YouTube video out there that we took maybe like eighteen takes. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, they they it's they tough. sent us translation. What was it? Uh, Ni hao. Uh, uh, that's like the easiest thing you can uh, say. I think. Sh- 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 <laughs> well, we're also forgetting. We're, we're we're not mentioning that we actually went to China too. Uh, was it? It was sh- shortly after the video, or. Yeah, is I think simultaneous, which is ironic. Yeah. Yeah. So we went. Uh, we were in Shenzhen, and the funny part was this had nothing to do with Fly by Midnight. It was a, it was a performance that we were hired for to for the Chevrolet Malibu, and uh, we just happened to be there. So we we learned those two phrases, which it's probably not <laughs> didn't get us very far. Yeah, it, it didn't. Really There's work. a funny story in it, which I won't <laughs> go too into. But we actually went out with all the the people we went with one night, and they gave us these cards. And uh, till I get back to the um, hotel, and uh-huh. somehow we lost them. And then we were looking at each other like, "Okay, where is everyone?" And everyone had left, and we both didn't have our cards. And I don't even know. I think someone finally came out of like this random crowd, like someone we knew. We're like, "Please tell me you have the, the card to get home." So we almost got uh, stuck in Shenzhen. Yeah, Salevo's so leaving out the fact that we met a group of cool people. We're like, "You guys got to come back to the hotel. Yeah, we're we're thro- trying to throw a party. We're throwing a party." So then we <laughs> gave them our cards like idiots, so they wouldn't know where to go. And we didn't know where to go. Uh, I think we assumed one or the other would keep the card, and we just both, yeah. Yeah, we're, that describes a typical night out with us, yeah. So next time, more cards. <laughs> yeah, the 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 they were probably pretty disappointed if they got to the hotel and there was nothing there for them. Yeah, exactly, right? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's crazy, though, that you got to this little viral hit in, in China and just happened to, happened to be at the same time. Um, which is, I, Another thing I want to talk about is the, is the timing, because it's like, you say you wrote this song that's going to be the single a couple months ago, or more than that, maybe. How did, I mean, how do you, do you, how do you uh, like hold off from just wanting to be like, well, let's just get it out there and see what the world thinks about it? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Because early on, when we started Fly By Midnight, where maybe we didn't have as much of a business perspective, it was mm-hmm. write the song, produce the song. We're excited. Let's press the button and get it out to the world right now. Mm-hmm. And I think... Um, we've seen this past year because we wrote the single in January. Like it's, we've had it in our pocket for a while. And I think we've realized that with certain songs, you need to pocket them and you need to figure out the rest of the journey before kind of releasing them. I I guess the best example of that would be uh, a single off of our last album, You Belong. Uh, I'll let Slavo kind of, I guess, touch on that a bit more. Yeah. I mean, the the story behind that song's funny because the song came out i think two weeks before our last album and um 
Justin was doing his typical thing where he just like kind of sent it out to people, kind of similar to the story you you had mentioned about the the um, the artist who was sending stuff to Spotify, random emails. Justin mm-hmm. had found an email for um, the head of Pop at Apple Music, sent it over to him um, just to kind of see what he was thinking of the the music we were making and stuff. And and he immediately got back and said, "Wow, this is a bop." And that was like kind of where he left it at. And so Justin had this moment where he like pulled back from the computer. He looked at me, he's like, "Wow." He actually got back. How do we take advantage of this and and create a relationship with this uh, this guy who was doing the music over there? So uh, you know, weeks had gone by and the album was getting closer and closer. And I think he knew that the album was coming out on the 18th of November or something like that. Yeah, and just to touch on this, the song that we sent over was one that we had had in our pocket for well over maybe a year and a half. That was probably mm-hmm. the longest, yeah, that we'd had stored away. Yeah. But um, yeah, essentially. Justin had been going back and forth with him, and he's like, "I really like the song. Uh, I want to talk and meet, talk, meet and talk about the album. Uh, when can you guys get together?" And the album was coming out, I think, like a day or two after. It was two days email. from there, and he said, "Can you meet tomorrow?" And we were on the ferry at the time, and and I was like, "Yeah, of course we can meet tomorrow." Thinking he was in New York, and then he sent an address for LA, and uh, <laughs> we, uh, we, and that was one of those. Literally, I think if this moment describes "Fly by Midnight" in itself. And our and our hustle and our drive because we we went from the ferry to JFK, hopped on an overnight flight to Los Angeles in the same clothes we were wearing, uh, brushed our teeth in Starbucks, and took bird scooters over to Apple Music's headquarters to to play the album, huh. and and that was uh that really led to the success of that song off the album. So yeah, that, that's awesome. Bird's really empowering everyone. Yeah. Bird scooters are great, by the way. Shout out, Bird. Yeah. Shout out, shout out, Bird. Give us money. Be safe on them, but they're, they're a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, thank God for Bird for getting into that that meeting. Oh, that's awesome, though. It's like, you know, just uh, it all came together so quickly. That's pretty cool. Do you guys have birds in Denver? We do. There are birds wow. here. They don't have birds in line. Yeah, we don't, don't believe them. I, I, I can see why you don't. I feel have like they'd be very York. dangerous. Yeah. yeah, probably not a great idea yet. <laughs> yeah, I think there was a, a guy that uh, works here that got ran over the other day on a bird scooter. Wow. But, uh, well, tell, geez, him, tell, right. tell him not to do that anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Stay out of stay out of the cars. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. This like what? Um, do you guys still have a relationship with this this um, head of head of pop at Apple? Yeah. Yeah, it's been one of those. It's such a because you know you hear about. Spotify curators or curators in general with favoritism. And I think we will walk a line of not favoritism, but ge- a genuine relationship, mm-hmm. even as producer and writers, where w- we've met uh, him out and people from Apple Music and Spotify out of places. And they're like, hey, you should write for this other artist. So he, mm-hmm. he's also just been such a guide where, where it's come f- for Fly By Midnight as an artist project, but also just genuinely wanted to connect good people together. So yeah, we, we've maintained the relationship and it's definitely grown to relationships with other people in the industry as well. I think the one thing about him specifically too, is you could tell how passionate he is about pop music specifically. And for us being pop artists, you know, it's, it's tough to find that these days. And he just really wants the best music possible to come out in the world. I think uh, it's very flattering for us that he pushes us to different people um, as much as he does just to, to work with, collaborate with. And I think for him, it's a little selfish in the respect that he wants, you know, great pop music. So, yeah, which uh, we're okay with. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, of course. So how did, speaking of pop, how did you guys land on um, that as kind of your genre that you're targeting? Is that just a, a matter of like where you guys, your personal taste went or um, is that kind of more cognizant decision or what? 
Yeah, I I think we we both loved pop growing up, even being interested in other genres, right? Yeah, and I would it's it's pop with you know obviously subgenres for us specifically, but you know all encompassing pop and um, you know we're inspired by like I was saying before, I used to listen to screamo rock music, so every now and then you know there'll be a little electric element, like electric guitar elements, and a little more alternative sounding stuff that we do. Um, yeah, we get a little more indie with it sometimes where, you know, we experiment and I don't think for us it's ever straightforward. And I think in the industry these days too, in general, like I was just listening to, um, uh, Camila Cabello's new song. Did you hear that yet? Not in here yet. It's, uh, it's crazy because Ryan Tedder, I think worked on it with Lewis Bell and then Frank Dukes. And they're all like, you know, Lewis Bell's obviously known for Post Malone. Ryan Tedder's known for, you know, his project. And, and the, the song that came out of it was just like, it's kind of rock. It's like almost like rock and roll. And even like cool. now Haran's new songs, if you heard that, it's like yeah. pretty rock and roll. So like, yeah. I think, um, you know, the term pop is, is obviously, like I said before, all encompassing, you know, who knows what that even means these days. For sure. Yeah. And just to touch on our influences, I mean, coming into Fly By Midnight, uh, uh, I always listened to a lot of 80s pop growing up from like Toto to the outfield and that that's kind of always been my go-to, and I know Slavo like loves Billy Joel, and for, from uh, you definitely hear that that kind of lyric inspiration. So we're we're really like a a, a melting pot of so many different genres. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what's coming next after this? Uh, you get your album out and the single. Do you have any more tours coming up, or um, what's next up for you guys? Yeah, so that's the exciting part too. Uh, whenever we release an album, we always want a tour to follow in some capacity. This time it's a little bit uh, different because we're actually playing a New York, LA show with uh, this band called Loot that I've seen this tremendous success the past two years. And so we're going to be supporting them for these shows coming up. And yeah, we're really excited about that. And probably after that, go back to headlining a few shows of ours as well. Nice. Do you guys uh, find time to like create new music when you're on tour or is it kind of like some lost time as far as like new, new stuff for you guys or what's up with that? It's tough because I feel like we'd love to be, and we kind of are built to be the on the road uh, creatives. But it's for us, I feel like we never really have done that. It's always been like whether we're in LA station somewhere doing stuff. I mean, we I have a rig that I bring around with us, but um, or back home, you know, when we were doing our college tour, maybe we picked up the guitar a couple times, tried to write something, and I don't know why. Yeah, the only the only time that I think we really went in while on tour was. We were talking about that song off the last album that did uh, like really open doors for us, and we were we were in Wisconsin uh, during the tour for like three days, and we had like two days off. And actually, we we rented a studio in Wisconsin in this random small, small a lot of cheese curds, too. a lot of cheese curds uh, <laughs> in this small town, and and that was where we effectively finished the song. Um, so yeah, I, I don't think I feel like we're so focused on the live show. And we want that to continue to grow. Then when we're on tour, we're constantly thinking in that headspace, if that makes sense. Yeah. Right. You want the people that come to the show to to tell 10 friends about how awesome the show was and, and grow from there. For sure. Yeah. And our live show is like, it's interesting because you, like we touched on this before, but you hear a song on Spotify and you don't know much about the artist. You watch a video and you don't know what their live show looks like. And for, for us, it's like a completely different experience. It's 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 a real live show. Slavo's playing guitar. I'm playing keys. We're both singing. Uh, we bring a drummer on. Sometimes a bass player. It, it's really, it, it's super tight. 
super energetic and really it's like a yeah it's a community experience you're not watching a show you're you're really part of something so that's cool i know it takes a lot of energy to do that stuff so it makes sense that uh it's starting to pay off a little bit um cool uh this might be more of a an amorphous question for you guys or um you know something that you have to dig dig deep for but uh you know if you had to go back knowing what you know now and like if you were to do it again from the beginning what uh would you do differently would you say if anything I think someone asked us this recently, actually, but um, so we're slightly prepared. <laughs> um, um, but one thing that I always think about in terms of that like style of question is just like not the cliche of um, you know, I wouldn't change anything. More of like just kind of trust your gut and and don't second guess yourself so much because I feel like at the beginning we had so much pressure on we wanted everything to do so well yep. that we would second guess ourselves. We wouldn't release things for that reason and. Um, I think just to have more trust in the process. Yeah, I, I would just tell, and I think this is a bit more specific to me, because I've always been so proud creatively of what we've done from day one. And our evolution at the time like felt like, why, why is this not happening? Why is, but it's been so organic, and, and I literally think exactly how it was meant to be. But I think from the business perspective, just figuring out earlier on that everything is attainable. Like there, if we, we've not to dive too much into this, but th this past year, if we want to get a song to someone and it felt so out of this world, we've received responses telling us no from the biggest people in the industry, but they've gotten back to us. And I think I wish I would have figured that out a bit sooner. <laughs> Hey, thanks for listening to this episode. It's always nice to hear a different perspective on the music industry from indies like Justin and Slavo. Of course, their story is getting less and less unique these days with more people finding a way into the industry on their own. If you have anyone that you think we should feature on the podcast or chat with, tag them in a tweet, let us know, drop us an email. We'd love to chat with them. Until then, we'll see you next week with a brand new episode. Take care.